Hey, good morning. Welcome to River Ridge Church. Welcome to you guys who are, uh, welcome to folks watching online. So that was one of our 2020, 20 for 20 videos as we celebrate 20 years of River Ridge Church and uh, God's word and faithfulness going out to folks. That was a few of our sermon series that we've done. Uh, folks on the women's retreat, I think we've got a picture of our women's retreat that was this weekend. So if you all are watching online, welcome to you all as well. A little shout out. So Hey, before we jump into the message, uh, I want to talk uh, about something. And I kind of have the privilege to do this every month or so. Um, and it's what we call the five shared values of the family. And I'll show you the little graphic for it here. And uh, the one that I want to talk about this morning, just for a couple minutes, is widen the circle. And basically, this is an encouragement to parents. Uh, and widen the circle means this. It's intentionally making moves and decisions by us as parents to put our kids in a relationship with other adults who are speaking the same message of truth that you're speaking to your kids. And so I want to just talk about this for a moment, and I uh, put together a little illustration. I hope this makes sense. We'll show this here. And if you think about this is the three kind of um, things that impact your kids, or three of the main things that impact your kids. There's the volume dial of parents, uh, and then there are trusted adults, so that's the widen the circle group, and then there is the world. And as you as parents think about your kids and raising your kids, you know, we as parents want to make sure that kids are listening to our dial, um, and then the adults around us, and then the world. Uh, but something happens in most children's lives. At some point, they're going to turn down the parent volume, Right? They're going to hit mute on the parent volume. They're going to turn it down, right? And, and it doesn't, I, I really think it doesn't matter how good of a parent you are, that volume is going to be turned down at some point. Because you did it when you were a teenager, and I did it, and your kids are going to do it. And here's the thing, is if you don't have trusted adults speaking truth into your kids' lives, and the parent volume gets turned down, and there is no trusted adult volume or speaking truth, then the only thing that your kids are listening to is the world around them. What their friends say, what social media says, what the culture says, right? And so part of what it means to widen the circle is you as parents intentionally saying, I want to get voices of trusted people, trusted adults in my kids' lives so that when they turn my volume down, those voices are already there. And honestly, having been around parents and having raised uh, four teenagers myself, there comes a point where we want to turn up that trusted volume with the, the trusted adult, but at some points it gets too late. And, and, I, and I don't mean to scare you, but it's really kind of a warning. Like, we need to get those voices around our kids when they're in third, fourth, fifth, sixth grade, right? Because when they're in high school and I've been a youth in youth ministry, you know, and I have parents who reach out to me and say, my kid really needs help. They're, you know, 14 or 15. And I want to be that trusted adult who's not the voice of the parent. But in some ways it can be a little too late because they've already tuned out their parent and anybody that their parent kind of points them to. So I encourage you just as you raise your kids, widen the circle, help them, encourage them, allow them to be involved with youth group, with ministry here at church, with Young Life, with other things, with people, men and women in your home group that you're in, so that there's other voices who are speaking the same truth that you are. So just want to open with that as we kind of talk about one of those every month or so. So let's pray together. 
Heavenly Father, I thank you for this morning. Thank you for the worship and, uh, Lord, just for the folks who are gathered here, folks who are watching online. I believe that you are going to speak to us this morning, um, and I pray that we would be open to what you want us to hear. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're going to be in Mark chapter 10 this morning. So if you brought your Bible, open up to Mark chapter 10. You can find that on your phone. If not, it'll be on the screen behind me. And what we're going to talk about is we're going to talk about greatness this morning. We're going to talk about kind of why do people want to be great and how do you get there? What does that look like? And I think, you know, you can look at the world around us and you can look at people who are doing great things and you can kind of ask the why and the how. You know, so for those of you following March Madness, this is the last run of Coach Krzyzewski, Coach K from Duke, you know, and so you, you could kind of have a conversation with him and say, why are you pursuing greatness in basketball, and how are you doing that, right? You could look at Putin, right, and you could say, and he is pursuing greatness. We certainly don't like how he's pursuing greatness, but you could have a conversation, why are you pursuing greatness, and how are you doing that? You could look at, talk to a guy like Mark Zuckerberg, the founder of Facebook. Why are you pursuing greatness in the social media world? And how are you going about doing it? Or you could look in the spiritual realm, or you could look at someone like Mother Teresa, you know, who's passed away. We say, why did you pursue greatness, and how did you pursue that? And it's the why and the how question. And for you as a follower of Christ, you may say, yeah, I want to do great things. I want to do great things for God. And the question is, why do you want to do that? And then the other question, the follow-up is, how are you going to do that? Now, for some of you, you may think, you know, I don't really have aspirations of greatness. I just want to raise my kids so they turn out okay in life, right? But in fact, that is a greatness. I want to have great kids. Why and how do you pursue that? Or you say, you know, I just, I'm not into greatness and like making my name known. I just want to have a good marriage and a happy life. Well, that's great. So why and how do you pursue having a great marriage? We're in this series titled Seven Questions, and each week we're asking a question that Jesus asked of ourselves, and this morning the question, it's not really the question, but the answer revolves around greatness, and we're going to look at this in Mark chapter 10. So it begins this way in verse 35. It says, and James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came up to him and said to him, teacher, We want you to do for us whatever we ask. So James and John are two of Jesus' disciples. James, John, and Peter are kind of like the inner three disciples, the top couple of disciples in terms of Jesus' inner circle. And they say, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. Right Now, if you're a parent and your child has ever asked you that kind of question, right? and my kids would say, Dad, I'm going to ask you a question, and you have to say yes. And you're like, I'm not committing to that kid, you know, because they might ask, like, can we go to McDonald's, which we could maybe do, or they're going to say, can we have a pony, which we're not going to do, right? Can I have a little sister? No, at this point in life, that is out of the question, right? So they may ask, like, can ever, and, but that question is like, whatever we ask, Jesus, you got to grant it. Will you say yes? So it continues on. And he said to them, what do you want me to do for you? He asked the question, what do you want me to to do for you. Now, if that was you asking that question or responding to that question, what would you say? 
if Jesus said, what do you want me to do for you? You know, and I don't think we would have answers like, I want to be rich. I want to be smart. I want to be good looking. That wouldn't be our question because we're already all those things anyway. Right? But we might say, I want to be part of ending world hunger. Give kind of a a um, beauty pageant answer. End world hunger. I want world peace. We might ask for something like that. But what would you answer if he said, what do you want me to do for you? So here's the answer that they give. And they said to him, sir, grant us to sit one on your right hand and one on your left in your glory. So they ask him for a pretty audacious thing. They say, we want to sit one on your right and one on your left. And you are, you're number one, but we want to be your number two and your number three. If you think about that, that's a pretty audacious ask. Like, we want to be the two most important people, next to yourself, of course, in setting up your kingdom. It would be like saying, what do you want me to do for you? I'd like to be the vice president, and my brother over here, he wants to be the secretary of state. Or he can be the vice president, and I'll be the secretary of state. That's the type of thing that they were asking for. Talk about greatness. That was their aspiration. We want to be great. We want to be number two and three in your kingdom, at the right hand and the left hand. And so here's how Jesus responds. Jesus said to them, You do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup? Are you able to drink the cup that I drink? or to be baptized with the baptism with which I am baptized. And so he's getting into some metaphorical language that I don't know that they fully understand, but he's saying, are you willing, when he talks about the cup, he's talking about the cup of wrath from the Old Testament, are you willing to go through the difficulty and the suffering that I'm going to go through? He says, are you able to be baptized with the baptism with which I am baptized? Which is saying, are you all in? That's what baptism is. It's a symbol of saying, I'm all in with Jesus, is how we look at it now. But when he uses it here, it's the same thing. Are you all in? Are you all in with following after me? In verse 39, and they said to him, we are able. They said, yes, we are all in. We will suffer for you. We will suffer with you. We are all in. Whatever you're about, we want to be about that as well because they had this goal this desire for greatness in the kingdom and then jesus responds said and jesus said to them the cup that i drink you will drink and with the baptism with which i am baptized you will be baptized so he says that is what your life will look like you are going to do those things and then he says but to sit at my right hand or my left is not mine to grant but it's for those for whom it has been prepared. He said, you're going to go through this stuff. You're going to achieve greatness, but it's not for me. It's for my father to give that out, who sits to the right and who sits at the left. And it's interesting as you read through the rest of the Bible and then look at a little bit of church history, they actually, this comes to be, so to speak, that James dies as a martyr, and this is in the book of Acts, and then John is exiled to an island called patmos and so they they do what jesus says that they're going to do they they go through this this cup and this baptism and they end up there now word of this discussion has reached the other 10 disciples and it says this in verse 21 and jesus 
uh, excuse me, verse 21. It says, and when the ten heard it, they began to be indignant at James and John. It says that they were angry. They were upset. They were indignant with them. You've got to ask the question, why were they indignant? Why were they upset with them? Well, it could have been because, like, man, I wish we'd thought of that first, right? Or it could have been like they were just jealous, or how dare you ask Jesus that, but it says that they were indignant. Now, I don't know if you ever struggle with this, but I struggle with this. Does anybody ever struggle with being a slow learner when it comes to following God? Right? Anybody else want to join the slow learner camp? Okay, if you're in the slow learner camp, this is super encouraging. Um, because I find that like it just sometimes takes me two or three or ten times to figure out, like, okay, this is what God wants. If you go back a chapter, chapter 9, verse 33, it says this. It says, and they came to Capernaum, and when he was in the house, he asked them, what were you discussing on the way? But they kept silent, for on the way they had argued with one another about who was the greatest. One chapter before, like, who's the greatest? I'm the greatest. No, I'm the greatest. No, I did this. I, I'm the greatest. They're arguing about who is the greatest. And then one chapter later, James and John, Jesus, hey, hey, could we sit your right and your left? We, we really are the greatest, and we want to be the greatest. I mean, can we do that? Right? That's the picture that goes on. And, and again, this gives me hope because I'm a slow learner, and James and John were slow learners as well, and they did great things for God. And so then Jesus says, you know what, boys? It's time for a family meeting. And so he pulls all 12 of them together, and they have a little family meeting, a little family scolding, perhaps, but also some great family instruction. It says this. And Jesus called them to him and said to them, You know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. So he says the, the Romans are aspiring to greatness. And so Israel was, was dominated, was um, captured essentially by the Romans. And so they had all the power and all the authority. And they could see this around them. The Gentiles is who they, he refers to them as. And when he says the Gentiles lorded over them, they would look around and say, yep, I see that. Yep, I see that. That's how they're trying to control us. That's how they are aspiring to greatness. And they had the power and they could back it up with might and force. But then he says this in verse 43. But it shall not be so among you. And if you have a, a highlighter or a pen, circle that, jot that in your notes. That phrase is so important, but it shall not be so among you. It says, he's saying greatness is okay to be achieved. It's okay to go after. We'll see it really clearly in just a moment. But how we do it is so important. It says, that's not you. Don't go after greatness because you have this power, because you have this authority, because you wield this control. Don't be like the Gentiles. Instead, he says this. He says, but it shall not be so among you, but whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be a slave of all. He says, that's how you achieve greatness. I'm going to give it to you in a phrase that I hope that you and I will both remember. It's serve your way to greatness. Serve your way to greatness. You know, what I love about this passage is Jesus affirms their desire 
for greatness, affirms their desire to that whoever would be great among you. He doesn't say, don't try and be great. Just do the worst job you can do. Try not to influence anybody. He says, whoever wants to be great, here is how to do it. Be a servant of all. If you want to be first, and that's good, aspire to be the best that you can be, the best in whatever it is, aspire to be the best. But to do that, be a slave to all. Put other people ahead of yourself. Serve your way to greatness. Now, I would love to extend this sermon by about two hours because there's four different areas, and I'm not going to, you can relax, but there's four areas that I think that this is so important. I'm going to mention these four areas, and again, I would love to do a half-hour message on each of these, but serve your way to greatness. When we talk about ministry and having an impact on the world, we could talk about that. What does it mean to serve your way to greatness and having a huge impact on the world? Another area to consider is when it comes to your marriage. What would it look like to serve your way to greatness in your marriage? We could talk about that for another 30 minutes or so. Another thing, when it comes to kids, when it comes to raising your children, what would that look like to serve your way to greatness as you serve and raise and love your kids? And then the fourth area to consider is your work. What would it look like for you to serve your way to greatness in your work? And is that possible? And what would that look like to serve your way to greatness in whatever area of work, whatever vocation that you have? So I want you to keep those four areas in mind. And I'm going to give you three principles that are kind of truths that relate to serve your way to greatness and what Jesus says. And you can apply these to all four of those areas and probably many more beyond that. But here's the first one, is don't be controlling. Don't be controlling. That's what the Gentiles did. That's what the Romans did, is they lorded it over them. They said, we have the power, therefore you will do what we say you will do. He says, don't serve your way. Don't get to greatness that way. Serve your way to greatness. Think about this when it comes to your children, right? When it comes to our kids, when it come, we can get the right behavior out of our kids by being authoritarian, right? Because we're bigger, we're stronger, we can raise our voices. We can say, you'll do so because I'm your father. You'll do so because I'm your mother and I'll not let you do this. I'll take away this. We can get there by authority, but at some point that runs out, right? Because we're no longer bigger. We no longer have that kind of dominant control over them. What it look like to serve your way to greatness with your kids and not be controlling? You know, the same is true when it comes to marriage. We can get what we want out of a marriage by being controlling. We can control our husbands or our wives for a time. You can control by withholding what they want. You can control by withholding affection. You can withhold an apology. You can withhold sex. You can control by guilt. You can control by anger. You can control by putting conditions on what they do, on what you will do and what you won't do. We can try and control in a marriage, but it's a short-term view. The view to a great marriage is serve your way into having a great marriage. Here's the second one, is do not be 
or excuse me, is do be, sorry, be selfless. Be selfless. We can summarize this, um, what Jesus says. He says, to be great, be a servant. To be first, be a slave. And so the result for us is to be selfless. Think about this in terms of your work. What does this look like in terms of your work? To be selfless. To put the needs of your team above yourself. To put the, the needs and desires of your boss above yourself. To put your direct reports and their needs and their desires above yourself. To be selfless in the people that you work with. John Maxwell is an author and a former pastor. And I, and I love what he says. Uh, he says this. He says, in every interaction, in every interaction that I have, I seek to add value to the other person's life. So in every phone call, in every email, in every team meeting, he says, I want to add some amount of value to the other person's life. It might be saying thank you. It might be, you know, because they've done something mundane. It could be giving them an opportunity. It could be giving them credit for something. But seek to add value to that person's life. Now, I don't know where you work, uh, but my guess is that there's some of you going, yeah, that's nice. That might work with your old church staff. That ain't going to work where I work, right? And I'm, I'm positive that some of you are thinking that. Don't raise your hand because your boss might be behind you. But here's the thing. is I would challenge you, if that's kind of your inner dialogue, to try this. To serve your way to greatness in whatever office situation you have, no matter how toxic it is. Because if you were here last week, we talked about this idea of believing God and stepping out in faith and trusting Him and growing belief in God is trusting Him in new and more areas. And what would it look like for you to trust God in this area of work and say, I'm going to serve my coworkers and my boss and my direct report, and I'm just going to see what happens and see where that leads. The third way comes from something that Jesus said at the very end, verse 45, says, For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. You know, as Jesus finishes this explanation to the disciples, he uses himself as an example. And we read this and we know what he means. For even the Son of Man, that's Jesus, did not come to be served, but to serve. Okay, we know what that means. And to give his life as a ransom for men. And we look at that and we go, he died on the cross in ransom for our sin. But you do wonder what James and John and the other disciples who were hearing this, did they realize what Jesus meant by that? Because my guess is they didn't. They're probably like, that's interesting. Maybe we'll figure that out later. But I do wonder if there was kind of an aha moment that after Jesus died on the cross, and then rose from the dead, and he was instructing them on going out and, and taking the gospel to the whole world, if that thought came back to them, they're like, oh, that's right. He said that he would give his life as a ransom for many. And that's what happened when he died on the cross. And let's do that as well. He was giving us instructions on how to serve our way to greatness. And the way to do that is to sacrifice like he did. And so that's our third point is sacrifice like Jesus. You know, Jesus gave up his life for us as a way of serving. 
for us, I don't know that we're going to have that opportunity. I'm not sure that we're going to give up our physical lives, our beating hearts for sacrifice. But we are going to sacrifice like Jesus. We're going to have lots of opportunities to sacrifice our time, to sacrifice our money, maybe even sacrifice our desires as we serve our way towards greatness. I want to end our time with one kind of giant application for all of us. Some of you have probably noticed uh, that over the last month or so, River Ridge Church has kind of grown again, right? That we've added about 100 people since the end of February, and even looking at here this morning, probably more than 100 people since the end of February. And uh, from our perspective as a church staff uh, and as those who are volunteering, here's a visual presentation of what it looks like, right? This, this is us, right? We'll just, just keep that rolling on a loop, right? Like this is Betsy Shock and the family ministry team, the volunteers are like, here come some more kids, here come some more kids. What do we do with them? Let's eat them. Let's stuff them in our shirts. We're not, you know, it's like, they're not eating your kids back there. I, I, I assure you of that. Um, but as more and more people keep coming through the door, we're like, okay, we got to figure out what to do. You can take that off of there. Um, <laughs> but here's the thing. Why are you laughing? Because <laughs> he won't take it off of there. All right. Um, but, you know, when it comes to, to volunteering, um, we, had, we sat down at a staff meeting a couple weeks ago and we said, let's get ready and, and do kind of a serving push, you know, kind of towards the end of the spring. Uh, and then we really did a very quick about face and said, you know what, we need folks serving now because the candy is coming, the kids are coming, more and more people are coming. And, and we, you know, when we talk about ministry, we want to help kids and adults see Christ. But it takes a certain amount of volunteers to do that. When we talk about kids, you know, we want small group leaders to be with kids and to know their name and to lead a discussion based on the number of kids. You know, we want about a six to one ratio when it comes to our elementary kids. We want about a four to one ratio when it comes to our preschool kids. We need, just for safety and other reasons, when it comes to our nursery, we need about a three-to-one ratio. We want small group leaders investing in the lives of kids. That's part of Widen the Circle. When it comes to Parker, we don't want just one person out there going, hey, you park over there, you park over there. We want a, a team of people who are welcoming folks into the church. It's more than just getting a hunk of metal into a parking space. It's about being that first welcoming to that person that maybe hasn't been to church for a while, or that person that wakes up and is like, oh, I don't know if I want to go to church, and they see somebody on the parking team, or they see somebody on the greeting team, welcome them and say, hey, I'm glad you're here, and they greet them with a smile, not just pointing them where to go. When we talk about the, the AV booth, the folks back there have a thankless job. The only time that we notice them is when they do something funny or, or they mess up, right? Uh, but man, we love the folks in the AV booth, but it's hard. We want to be three deep in every position back there, but we're not. And so it can be hard because get, they get here at 8 a.m. and they leave at 12.30, and to serve back-to-back -back weeks can be very taxing. We want people to be in, okay? And in your um, seat back in front of you, we have a little blue card here that says, I'm in. And the reality is that 
when it comes to staff, like we're and the volunteers that we have, we're, we're getting it done adequately. But with this influx of folks coming back to church, which is absolutely so encouraging, we want you to be in as well. We want you to say, I'm in with making Sunday mornings great. I'm in with helping people take next steps in their journey with God. I'm in with serving and growing my faith. I'm in with volunteering. I'm in with River Ridge. I'm in with serving my way to greatness. This all fits together. And so what I'd love for you to do is to take a moment, and if you call River Ridge Church home and you're not volunteering, I would love for you to fill out this card and let us know where you'd like to serve. Now, you may have been calling River Ridge Church home for years, and you just came back this Sunday or in the last couple weeks, and you say, we're just glad to sit in the service in person. That's fine. Wait a few weeks. Wait till after Easter, and we'll get you plugged in if, if you want to do that. Um, but I would encourage you, if you call River Ridge home and you're not serving, to say, hey, I would like to serve because I am in with what God is doing. And it really does. It goes back to what we're talking about when it comes to serving and serving our way to greatness. And the great thing about this is that when you serve, like we do all the not fun work for you. We cut the little things out, we prepare the stuff, and then you get to come in and you get to be with kids. You get to serve the coffee, you get to hand out the bulletins, you get to register kids. We do all the other IT stuff and all that kind of stuff. You get to do the fun stuff. Um, and, you know, the other part of it is when you sign up, and one of the things about serving, and we have a very high kind of serving culture at River Ridge, is you're not signing up to serve someplace forever and ever and ever for a lifetime. Like, I got to serve, you know, with preschoolers until I die, I kill them, or I leave the church, <laughs> right? Like, those are my three. It's, it doesn't work like that. Like, we want you to serve, and if it's not a great fit, we'll find another place for you. And then you say, now I'm going to go back in it with preschoolers. I had a break. Or whatever it is, we will help you with that. I want to finish um, by going back to the beginning and, and tying a couple of things together, just about two or three minutes more, is, um, is this, is my son Riley, he's 22 right now, uh, he's doing well in life, doing well in the Lord, but there was a time when he was in high school, um, and he went through a rough patch, and I showed you that picture of the dials, like, he turned down the parent dial in a major way. He didn't want to hear what, what Stacy and I had to say. Um, but fortunately, as he was making those bad decisions and not listening to us, there were some adults in his life that he was listening to, that he was turning to, who were willing to speak and continue to speak truth in his life, even though he had turned down the mom and dad dial. And so uh, when, the day that he graduated, we gathered some of those folks up and had a lunch and kind of a, an encouragement lunch for him. And I took a picture of it. I want to show you this picture. And this picture, is, his grandfathers came in for it as well because it was graduation. Uh, but this picture is a collection of Riley's small group leaders over the course of his life. People who were in a small group with us that cared for him. People that he has a small group leader when he was in fifth grade here at River Church was when he was in middle school, his young life leader. Those were the wide in the circle people in his life that got him through this time when he didn't listen to us. And so part of what I'm asking you to do, encouraging you to do, is to be a small group leader so that you can widen the circle for a parent 
and speak truth into a parent or into a kid's life that the parent isn't speaking or is not able to speak because that volume has been turned down. That's the invitation. The invitation is to come and to be a part of welcoming people to rivers so they can hear the truth about who God is. So I'd love if you could fill this out. If you've got questions, Kim Nelson is at the booth out there. If you're watching online, go to sign up for anything uh, at the River's website, and you can um, fill out a form just like this. But let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you for this time together, Lord. Thank you um, just for the adults in this church uh, who have poured into my four kids and into my two foster kids now, uh, and even the ones before that, Lord. I'm so thankful for them. And God, I pray that you put on the hearts of more and more folks to pour into kids to be a welcoming part of this church because we want nothing more, nothing less than for people to know Jesus Christ and him crucified and risen from the dead. God, would you help us all to move in that direction, to be in with what you are doing. I ask this in Jesus' name, amen.